This is Pastor Jeffrey Garner from San Francisco, Dr. Jeffrey Garner, and he's going to come and bring the word to us. Um, I just want to challenge you guys to just open your hearts to whatever he says and let God minister in this place today. It's going to be an awesome day. We love you. Ah, Take your liberty. Love you too. Awesome. Uh, yeah, a big shout out to um, um, Eddie and, and, and team as well. And then it's great, always great to be uh, here at uh, New City uh, celebrating and worshiping God and all that. I, I, quick question, is there, is there a reason for... I noticed, I just noticed that poor John, you know, I mean, that, that, if that cord was meant to be a stumbling block, block, block of a fence, this is definitely going to get me. <laughs> I'm going to go head over heels over that thing, and you're going to see me just kind of laid, laid out. Or you want me to sit up on top of that now? Okay. <laughs> Dog and pony show. I'll be up here, like, doing my little, yeah. Uh, great to be with you. Uh, I've been down in Mexico for about, oh, um, six weeks, six weeks or so. And so um, Pastor Eddie took me and dropped me off down in Baja, left me there, and then Pastor Vince picked me up yesterday, and, uh, and, and John was with him as well, and so, or Friday, you guys came on Friday, and we got to spend some time together, so I feel like I have been surrounded, I've been, my, my past six weeks have been bookended with the two, two, two great pastors here in uh, San Diego, and, um, and it's just, it's a delight to, to be with you and just to share kind of what I, what I sense and feel God's put on my heart uh, for, for you as a, a community here today. Uh, a moment ago, when, when um, we were worshiping, I think we were singing nothing but the blood of Jesus. I think that was one of the songs that we sang. This It was like part of one of the songs that we were singing this morning. As we were singing that, I um, just had this memory. Of course, that's an old song, and it kind of can connect you to some nostalgia. For me, there's some nostalgia that that, that song will catch me up in, and I'll, I'll remember when. Um, but I was looking around, I was watching some of you as you were singing that song and, and, and feeling it, and... Um, I was I was struck by um, an elderly gentleman in our in our church who has been through quite an extensive journey in his life of faith, and uh, early on, back in the he came came to Jesus in the in the Jesus movement back in the hippie era, and then kind of lost his way for many years, lost his way, and recently just came back, kind of in search and in quest of God, and but not a fully orbed faith more a broken kind of um, fragmented faith that just came and was, I just want to experience God's presence. One Sunday after worship gathering, he came up to me and we had been talking about something. He said, you know, I, he rarely misses a Sunday, like rarely. And, um, and I was just commenting on him. I said, you know, um, Bruce, I just find it so interesting that you're, all, you're faithfully here every Sunday. And, and I know your journey. I know your story. I know He's like, yeah, about that. He said, it's really, it's kind of an interesting thing is that the reason why gathering together to worship on a Sunday after my, the journey that I've been on is so significant and it's so important for me to gather with other people on a Sunday is because I am so broken in my faith. Sometimes I just sit there and I look at the person sitting next to me and they're crying and their faith is so robust and they're just reaching out to this invisible whatever out there. And I'll sit there, and I can't sing the words. I don't even know that I believe what everyone else seems to be feeling so strong and believing. And I'll just go, I'm with him. <laughs> and I just kind of look up to heaven, and I'm like, I don't know where I'm at, 
personally with you, but this guy's getting it. And this guy is crying and having one grand time with you, so just, I'm with this person. And he said, it just does something to me. Like, I feel really good. Like, I can walk out going, I don't know how I feel about myself, but I feel really good about this person. They seem to have really strong faith. I'm with them. And you know, there's a lot of, uh, for us in individualistic culture and and society, um, where we put so much on the individual having to have the faith for themselves. We miss this significant piece that was part of an early church where they benefited from the faith of each other, the love of each other. Like there are some Sundays when you'll gather and you're going to be like, I got nothing. But that person over there, they're crying up a storm. I'm with them. And you feel that communal presence that we are the body of Christ, not individually, but we are the body of Christ corporately, you know? And so whenever Paul references over and over things like, you know, you are the body of Christ, or when he'll, when he'll say things like, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, these are not stated in the singular. Greater is he that is in you all by yourself, but it's always plural. Greater is he that is in you all, that we are a body, we are a community, and it is this togetherness that we experience, whether it's worshiping on a Sunday or in a GCM throughout the week or sitting down for coffee sometime, where we experience the the living presence of Jesus Christ in each other, and it completes those parts of us that are broken, those parts of us that are fragmented, those parts of us that lack. We can just be, I'm with so-and-so. And so a moment ago as we were singing, I was reflecting on that as I looked around and I was like, yeah, I'm, I don't know that person over there, but they seem to really be getting their tears on. Lord, I'm with them. Whatever they're feeling, just sign me up on that. I'll ride the coattails of that all the way to heaven today. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I, I, I grew up in a, um, in a very, what, what some, I guess you would say, sociologist would refer to as an apocalyptic movement. I've heard sociologists refer to these apocalyptic movements, and that was one of the that was one of the contexts in which I grew up in was in a, was what sociologists would refer to as apocalyptic movement. That really means that there was always an, a sense of an Im, impending doom, that the end was just around the corner, that the rapture was just moments away from happening, and it was just like at the edge of your seat. I remember, oh Lord, here we go, buckle up. I, I remember as a five-year-old, I remember, well, maybe, maybe it was about six. I remember as a six-year-old, five or six, somebody had, was, was teaching in the church that we were at, somebody was teaching the church about Jesus coming back and that it was the end of time. And, um, and, and I grew up in a, very, in, a Pentecostal, uh, in a Pentecostal context, so that was my upbringing, and we had tongues and and, and tongues and interpretation, that was a big part of our upbringing. I remember one of the services that, that I was in as a kid, somebody given a tongues and interpretation, and, and the, the tongues and the interpretation was uh, that the Lord was getting ready to come back and that, you know, we should all be ready for this, this soon return because it was about to happen. And I thought, dear God, I am five. I am not going to make it. This thing is going to happen, and I'm going to miss out. And I remember begging begging 
Hey, everyone talks about those little sweet little prayers of inviting Jesus to come into your heart. Folks, that was not my experience. I was begging him to let me in. It wasn't like, come into my heart, Lord. It was like, let me in the pearly gates, dear God. I don't want to burn in hell forever. <laughs> like, it was like, you know, a five-year-old, and I remember, like, I've got to be baptized right now. Oh, Jeff, it's not, you know, everything. No, he's coming back. I'm, I'm, I am most certain that it's going to happen tonight. I can feel it. It's going to happen tonight. And so, you know, I mean, I was always like, uh, every week I was like, this, this is going to be the week that he comes back. I, I remember 1976. 1976. Here, I'm just a little kid. 1976. And somebody said, next year. You know what next year is? It's like, no. <laughs> next year is 1977. I was like, oh, God. 19, well, what does that mean? What does that even? <laughs> I'm just a kid. What does 1977 mean? God's perfect number is seven. He's coming back next year. Oh, God. Next year? Yes, 77. Think about it, Jeff. Seven, seven. God's perfect number. Oh, dear God. You're coming back next year, 1977. It's going to happen. I didn't even take the time to think about all the other 77s that have happened. <laughs> From the time that Jesus came the first time to this point, it was just, it's going to happen in this particular 77. And um, there's a lot, of, a lot of fear associated with that. And, and in, in addition to that, not just, not just a, lot of, a lot of fear, but there was a lot of torment. Like, there was a lot of times where I felt like I wasn't good enough. I didn't, didn't know all the rules right. Like, there somehow was, you know, I, um, in the church context that I grew up in, you couldn't go to the movie theaters. That was not, that was like, no, no, you can't do that. The first movie, <laughs> the first movie that I went to see was, was, a, was a Rocky, I think it was Rocky Three or Rocky Four, and I just knew Jesus was going to come while I was in the theater, and I, I was going to be left with the Beast and the Antichrist and all the other, just, be, all, just because I just want to see Silver, Sylvester Stallone box, that I was going to be left behind with all, you know, I was like torment, like the whole time I kept looking around like, oh God, if you come, just wait till this movie's over, I want to see a movie in a movie theater before you return. So there are all these little rules, you know, that, that we followed, and, and, and one of the things that was part of that is, is um, you, you, have to, you have to kind of create, you create these boxes these what I would call um, um, unsafe lifeboats, these, these spaces that aren't really safe, but you feel there's this kind of pseudo or false sense of security that you have in these particular things that you've kind of built your life around, right? And so, you know, if I don't do this and don't do this and I do this and I do this and I do this and I, then all of a sudden I'm, I, I find my, I'm finding my salvation in works, so I'm finding my salvation in what I'm doing, and I feel like this false sense of security, which comes falling apart like a, a house of cards whenever I do something wrong. And, um, but part of that um, was that I, 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 I didn't feel comfortable being around people that were not a part of my church culture. I didn't feel comfortable being around people that were outside of my context. And the reason for that is because I struggled with thinking that people were going to be lost and go to hell. And I didn't want to get to know someone and have to wrestle through the kindness of this person, whatever this person was, and then them, the ultimate, they're going to be lost because God wants nothing to do with them. He's only picking a few certain people from our, for some reason, he's chose our church of all the churches in the world. Our church happens to be the one that he is saving. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me, but dear God, you know, and so there was the, like a lot of that, that that I wrestled through. Now, getting to this point right here, when I was 18, I had a crisis of faith. 
You can imagine growing up in a context like that. And as you get older, you're going to meet people that are really good people that don't fit your paradigm of what salvation or what God is supposed to be. And I was working at Grocery Outlet. It's my, it was my second or third job, but it was Grocery Outlet. But in the other jobs, I never like got to know the people that I was working with. But I am now studying the Bible at a Christian college. I'm a freshman. It behooves me to bring my faith to those people that I meet on the job. That's a part of it. And I've got to like give them the message that I've been given, that Jesus is coming tonight. And if you don't get ready, <laughs> woe be unto you, because you will be left with the beast and with the, the Antichrist and all that. So I meet this guy. His, his name was Eddie. And um, I, I remember, I remember he, he, he worked in the freezer department at, at the grocery outlet. And I was kind of in the back. I would do stocking. I would, you know, cut the boxes and set everything out. And he worked, and he would be out there working. I, I, and I took it upon myself, like, I need to share my faith with him. So, you know, it was kind of like easing into the waters of sharing my faith. And, and uh, before I could even, like, begin to express my faith so that I could, you know, save him from a devil's hell, uh, he opened up to me, and he told me that, that he was Buddhist. And I was like, oh, gosh, man, we got, I've got my work cut out for me. I mean, I don't even know who... <laughs> I don't even know who, who Buddha is, but, I mean, this is going to be some, some serious work that we're going to have to do here. So one thing led to another. We become, we become I would say, you know, cl not close friends, but we, we start having this kind of friendship. And I, and I start observing the way that he's living his life. And I start noticing that he is more compassionate, kind, generous, thoughtful than half the people in my church. And he's not... He doesn't even believe in Jesus, and yet he acts more like Jesus than a lot of the people that I know, and I, I have this crisis of faith. What do I even believe? If my faith is going to turn me into what a lot of these other people are at my church, I don't, then that's not, I don't want that. I want to be Buddhist, because he's like, you know, so I have all, all these thoughts are going to me. And then it reached a point where I was like, here I am, 18, and I remember, like, I don't even know that I believe in God anymore. I am going to a Christian college. I am studying to be a, a minister, a pastor, and I don't even know that I believe in God anymore because I was just so, so worked up over it. And, and so many of the questions, I was being confronted with so many questions, and I had no answers. I didn't know how to go about engaging an answer with any of these questions because these questions were just too overwhelming for me. Like, how could it be that you have someone that doesn't believe in Jesus that is actually living a life that is more consistent with Jesus' teachings? That was a huge question. How could it be that I am even, that I, out of all the people in the whole world, happen to be born in this particular Christian denomination, organization that is the only one saved in all of God's green earth? How did that happen? There's just all these questions. What about all the people that, then, then the questions of theodicy, the questions of, you know, suffering, uh, in the face of a good God, then, those it, then it just opened up Pandora's box. And there's just all these questions that I feel like I'm overwhelmed with. And I didn't know what to do to find answers to those questions. I didn't know where to go. The typical, you know, just pray about it wasn't working. I was trying that, and, that, and just praying about it wasn't getting me through. The typical just, just believe, you know, just kind of hold on. Well, I've been doing that, and that's not helping me. And I remember I got to the end of that year, and I thought, the only thing that I knew to do that I, that, that I thought would work for me was I need to get away from here. I need to go backpacking. I need to take my Bible. 
and I need to just get alone with God and ask him these tough questions and get some answers from him because everyone seems to think that that's all that it takes. So I did. My freshman year of college, that year was over. I took off into the Sierras. I went for three weeks, nothing but my tent, Bible, water, and, um, and I was good to go. And I knew that my faith was pretty much frazzled. I, my faith was like, and I had this, I knew there was one scripture that said, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. And I was like, well, I need to like bolster my faith back up because my faith has taken a, it's had the snot beat out of it. And I'm going to have, I, I just got to get, so I'm going to, I'm going to read the Bible from Genesis all the way through to Revelation in those three weeks. I'm not going to eat anything. I'm just going to read it from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord, and I didn't understand what that meant contextually. I just, I just, I need to read it out loud. No joke. Sun up to sundown for three weeks. I would stand there and I would read. So-and-so begat so-and-so. So-and-so begat so-and-so. We're going for it all the way. Three weeks I read from Genesis to Revelation. During the daytime when light was out, I was reading my Bible until I finished the Bible. I did not understand any of it, really. I was just, somehow faith is going to magically appear because I'm saying it out loud and I'm hearing it. I know I'm hearing it because I'm speaking it. I went through and I kept going, a lot of this stuff was not making sense. You know, I mean, it's just like, and each night, each night I would go stand out under the stars Man, the canopy of, of, that, of the constellation of the northern hemisphere, you know, when, on, on a summer night when you're that close, about 8,000, about 8,000 feet elevation, you're that close, and you look up there, and it's almost like the Milky Way has just, like, enveloped a blanket around you of stars, and it's just squeezing the life out of you, going, ah, ah, and I would, like, look up at it, and I would, like, throw out my questions, like, I could, in that moment, you know, because it's so big, right? It's so huge. I, like, I could just imagine that, that, you know, there's God. I could just take my little question, like, like and, I th- and I know I'm going to hit, hit him somewhere. The question's going to ping him, and I would just, like, throw my questions up there. What about this, and what about that? And then it would start getting darker, and more stars coming out. Then it's getting a little bit chilly, and then there would always be, eventually, there would be some kind of noise, a creature, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever, the Loch Ness Monster out in the woods of the Sierras, there would be something going on out there that would like, we've got to get into the tent and just hold on till the morning. And then I would do that night after night after night after night. And I kept thinking, at some point, I'm going to have this. I, I, I remember one night I was like, God, you're going to show up. Jacob wrestled with an angel. <laughs> Jacob wrestled with an angel. By God, I'm going to wrestle with an angel right here. Show up with your angel right now. Let's get it on. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you ready? I was like, bring it, let's go. No angels, no visions, no dreams. Like everyone, I was like, okay, I'm going to sleep right now. This is your opportunity, heaven. Give me a dream. We're serious about this. I've got questions, you've got answers, bring it. Nothing. All I remember from those three weeks is everything that I've just now told you. And on the 21st day, sitting on this huge granite slab, sitting on this huge granite rock and going, God, what a waste. I am starving. I have read the Bible and none of it makes sense to me. I was supposed to have faith. At some point, the angels were supposed to show up like they did for Jacob and like, you know, woo, or come alongside of me and we'll have, 
None of that has happened here. I don't know if I believe or I, I am like completely lost here. And I'm sitting there on that rock, scratching my head going, man, everyone talked about how great fasting was. It's not, it's not great at all. It doesn't do anything for you. You lose weight. That's about it. But, you know, I, was just, I remember sitting there just like, this is so stupid. Why do people do this? You know, my faith, I still felt like my faith had, had, had taken a horrific beating. Um, one of the scriptures that I read during that time, because I read all scriptures during that time. <laughs> one of the scriptures that I read during that time was the story of a man who had a lot of questions. His name was Job. His questions were rooted in a lot of suffering that he was going through. Death of his children, death of his, uh, of, of, of his wife, death of, of everything around him, loss of everything that he owned, loss of his own health reaching a point to where he had nothing left but suffering to ache and eke his way along in life. And then a couple of friends show up, and they start pointing their finger at him, saying, well, it's because you did this. And so to add insult to injury, not only is he in pain, not only has he lost everything, but his friends have now taken it upon themselves to accuse him of having a bad attitude in all of this. And come on, people, you would have a bad attitude as well. And you would have a lot of questions as well. And when I look at Job, I'm like, Job, I get, Job's a lot better dude than I am. No doubt about it. I mean, if I went through all that, I'd have done the cursing a long time before he ever got to that point where his wife's like, why don't you just curse him and die? I mean, you know, I, I look at Job and I'm like, I can, I can feel. He has all of these questions. And so he begins, his friends are throwing questions out. There is like this long list of questions that are being thrown out there to God. Why suffering? Why this? How come this is happening? This doesn't make sense. Just question after. And there's chapter after chapter. Most of the chapters in the book of Job are not things you want to build your life on. They're false questions. They're accusations. They're painful statements. It's not like you pick those verses. There's like two or three chapters. Like, here's what, out of these 40-some chapters, here's two or three of what God is saying. The rest of it is a bunch of idiots babbling on. But you get to those couple of chapters and I remember coming to, to the one in chapter in, in Job chapter 38, when it finally, when after all these questions have been asked, and Job's been through this enormous amount of suffering, and in, in, in chapter 38, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Prepare to defend yourself. I will ask the questions. Now, there is something very redemptive that I want to point out about questions, and it's this. If you don't have a question, you probably will never get going on a quest. Questions drive quests. It may be the wrong question. More than likely, it is the wrong question. And God's going to have to redirect the question to a question that will get you where he's trying to get you. But if you have, if, you're, if it's just your life is apathetic, you're, everything's just chill, everything's lit, everything's beautiful, if that's what's going on in your world and you don't have a burning question, you won't set out on a quest. You will stay put, lock yourself in, live your little posh life, and never truly develop and grow into your full potential that God has for you. You have to have a question to get going on your quest. You can't turn a ship that's not moving. 
It might have to go in the wrong direction for a little bit in order for it to get turned around. But you can't just turn it while it's sitting still. And those questions are meant to drive you and get you going. And eventually God, like we see here with Job, is going to come into your presence, come into your space, and ask you the question that you should have been asking all along, but you just didn't know how to get to that question. And God says to Job, you're asking the wrong questions. You're looking for answers for things that will never truly satisfy you and what I have intended for your life. I'm going to be the one asking the questions from this point forward. And by the way, when God asks a question, it is rhetorical. He is not asking a question because he's like, gosh, I'm like up here needing some help. Jeff, I know you went to school and you got a degree, and I think you studied this somewhere back there. Could you tell me about? No. He's asking questions because he wants you to think. Adam, where are you? Oh, Lord, I'm over here in this tree. Huh, didn't you know that? Oh, no, thank God. I was wondering where you were. There you are. How you doing, buddy? Adam, where are you? I know where you are, but that's the question you should be asking yourself right now. Where am I? Adam, what have you done? I know what you have done, but the question you should be asking yourself is, what have I done? You should begin to start walking through confession right now. I'm giving you an opportunity to confess. I'm going to ask you the questions so that you can confess to me where you're at and find healing. But instead, what does Adam do? The woman you gave me. It's blame shifting, it's self-justifying, it's all, and it's not he's trying to lead, lead him. Where's your brother, Cain? Where's your brother at? I mean, his blood is crying to me from the ground, but do you know where he is? Do you know what's going on in your heart? It's like these questions that God asks us when we've been asking a completely different set of questions in our life. And he's trying to redirect us into a place to where we're closer to him. Because here's the thing I've discovered with me and, my, and the questions that I ask. You know, I'll ask a question that I'm wanting to just know more about God. And he wants to ask a question of me that will bring me to come, know, come to a place to where I know him. I'm asking a question that will give me proof of God's existence, but he wants to ask a question of me that will drive me to a place to where I will come to realize that the greater miracle is his presence that is in my life in the face of these questions. And so I'll find myself being driven with these questions so he can woo me or pull me or tug me into a place to where I'm close, closer to him. If you read Jesus and you read the stories that he tells, he tells what you know, we refer to these, these parables, these stories. But so much of what Jesus says is he's not giving us down pat answers, black and white answers, dot, 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 dot. He's calling us to a place to where we'll really engage our heart and think. Because so much of what we do is kind of remote control, mechanical, kind of we're in this hypnotic state of life and we're not truly engaged in an awakening with God and his presence. And so he begins to probe us with questions that cause and stir us to think and to become awakened to his presence and his work in our life. Questions, questions that God asks us that gets us going in a quest. I think probably one of the, one of the uh, uh, questions that really sticks out to me, quests that sticks out to me is, of course, the quest of Abraham. And um, if, if you're looking at this in the book of Hebrews, the, the way that it gets painted, we're, we're told in Hebrews chapter 11 that as, as it's being set up here in this, I, this notion of questing and, 
Uh, we're being told that, that faith is, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Um, and this is what the ancients were commended for, that they had this thing, that they had this sense of, of assurance with hope. They had this sense of certainty with the things that they could not see. Here's the thing. If God answers you, let's back up from that for a moment. Let's, let's say this first. Most of the time when we're asking questions, we're bringing to God a multiple choice list that he can choose from. Most of the time, you know this is true. Most of the time when we come to God with a question, it's not that we want an answer. It's we want him to validate our answers. I want you to validate what I already know to be true, so just plant a little miracle on top of this and I'll tell the whole world how smart I am. I want you to validate what I've been assuming all along. So I'm asking this question, but really what I want is you to give me this answer. And so our heart is not postured in truth. Our heart is postured in facts and knowledge, but not truth. And he has to go through this incredible work of stripping away so much in our life to bring us to a point because he is interested in truth in the inward part, not in knowledge and facts in your head. You want more information, and he wants intimacy with you. You want something up here that you can look at others and go, look how much I know. And he's going, but I want character. You want to know where is the direction that I'm going with my life. I want to map it all out, five-year, 10-year, 20-year, all the way to my grave. And he's going, I want your heart. I don't, it doesn't matter to me what your plan is. I want your heart. I want to have an intimate relationship with you. I want to know you. And you're like, I just want to know you. Or he's like, no, I want to know you. I want to know what you're becoming, what you're doing, what you're maturing into. That's what I want to know. And the questions and the things that I put in your life are bringing you to that if you'll let them. But if you're just looking for proof of my existence, you're going you're gonna to be so dissatisfied because it leaves you so far short of what I'm really after, which is you having an experience of my presence. I want you to experience my presence in your life, not just have a down pat answer that you can fling out there and everyone go, ooh, he's really smart. The moment that he gives us the answer, the moment that we get the answer, Faith is no longer required. All of a sudden, it becomes something else. And as a writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. The redemptive part of the question is that it gives you a context for you to stand there with your eyes ablaze and go, I believe, I don't understand, but I believe in you. And that is the stuff that trust and relationships are made up of. That's it. I remember I got, got back in my Jeep, CJ5, I got back in my Jeep coming down from the mountains uh, after that, after that, that three-week um, three time in the mountains. I was driving down, I was very disappointed. And as I was driving down, it hit me about halfway down the mountain. He did not answer me with all the questions that I had. He answered me in a different kind of way. It was like at some point on that drive, I realized I still believe in him. Like I still trust. I trust him. 
It's just, it was just like a little seed. It wasn't like this big thing, like, oh. Just like this, it was just like this little seed in here. I was like, I still believe him. It doesn't make sense. I don't know everything. But right here, I don't, I don't, know, about, I don't know about Eddie. I don't know about this situation. I don't have any of the answers to any of, any of that. Whether the rapture is going to happen before I get home tonight, I don't know any of that. Whether there even is a rapture. Well, I, I, but what I do know is I trust him. I trust him. I think this is what Abraham has when we're told. And in fact, I'm just going to say this. And I think so much of the faith movements is, is are people that are moving and questing from postures of questions. God says, do you build an ark? That's a big question. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How many animals? How big? I, I mean, I could, I could sit here for the next 15 minutes and just go through the questions that I would have if God showed up and said, hey, I want you to build this big ark. We're going like, to do a big mass destruction here in the U.S. I'd be like, uh. I, there's a lot of questions that are going, how long am I going to do? Oh, about 100 years. What? <laughs> like, you want me to make a fool out of myself for 100? Yes. Why? Good question. There's a hammer. Get going. Yeah. I think so much of this, if you look at these people that are walking by faith, they're walking and they're questing, and there's a question that's burning that's not being answered. But it's getting them to move. They're moving in a direction, right? And this is what happens with Abraham, verse 8 of the 11th chapter of Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. What? Where am I going, Lord? Go. Where am I going, Lord? Go. Where am I going, Lord? Go. Hebrew word, lech lecha. Get out is like strong, like a strong, get out. Is this far enough? Get. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. There's all these questions like, is this the place? Wake up tomorrow, pull the tent stakes up, pack up, go again. All right? Lord, what about now? We've been going for about six months now. Are we here? He did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. God said, I've got all of these promises for you. And he's like, I'll make my home in that, but I'm a stranger in it. Like, there, there, there is this paradox, there's this pull. He's being pulled between the two worlds. And then he says, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was, watch this, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect, whose architect and builder is God. There is a city that I am going to where there are people just like me who believe in this great God. They're not like caught up in all these islands. There's a city out there somewhere. He believed that in his heart. I am looking for the city whose architect and builder is God. Each morning I wake up, I pull the tent stakes up. I pack up the tent. We get the whole caravan going on, and we're going to go look over on that mountain over there and see if the city is over there. And he does this for his entire life, and he never finds the city. Every day he wakes up, maybe it's over here. 
He is just looking for the city that God builds. He thinks that it's going to be a city here on this, in this space, right here, right now. He does not realize that the city is within him. He does not realize that he is the new city. He does not realize that he is that city, that his family is going to be that city. He's just questing. He's got all these questions. Maybe it's around this bin. Maybe it's in this wilderness. Maybe it's over here. And he's walking and walking and walking. And he has no idea that the steps that he's taken, the movement that he's making, all of that is shaping the city of God that will be a people of faith, a people that don't need something to grab onto before they believe, but they're able to just walk with nothing more than a burning sensation in their heart from the eternal that says, get going, live this out. And so he becomes the father of the faithful, our father, in the sense that he shows us the way to walk. Now watch this. This is interesting because the writer of Hebrews will say this twice. In verse 13, he says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. What? I've got this promise. I've got, I've got this question, and I'm on this quest, and I'm wanting this question to resolve. You know, it's the whole, the whole dissonance. Dun, 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 dun. And if it doesn't resolve, you all are going, dun. You're like, want me to finish it? Please. We need things to resolve. Dissonance is like fingernails on a chalkboard. We need things to resolve. And yet these people of faith, they walk without any resolution. They just quest. And finally, he says in verse 39 again, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Wow. So the questions that burn inside of us, get us questing, and we may quest and quest and quest and never see a resolution, but the point is not answers. Life is not about how many answers you get in your quiver. Life is not about, at the end of the day, how much you know, how much you've solved. Life before God is about walking in faith day after day, after day, no matter what the questions are that you have. I would say this, and this has been the case, this has been kind of the story of my life. The questions, I value them, I cherish them because they get me going. But I know how this works. I set out a few weeks ago, I was like, I got all these questions, God, and we're going to go hash them out for the next few weeks. You and me, let's go. So I'm going to go down to Mexico, Baja, you and me out in the desert, we're going to like, we're going to we're gonna come. We're gonna come to blows, and we're gonna figure this thing out. I was only in it like a couple of days, and I'm like, you know, I know how this works. I'm just gonna let's just let's just reorganize here. You're not gonna answer my questions. I get it. So why don't we just start with, speak, Lord. Your servant listens. What is it that you want to say to me? You've got my attention. I'm all ears. What is it that you're trying to speak to my to my heart? Where is my heart being reoriented? Where is it being shaped and contoured right now? It was a couple of nights back. Um, I was just spending some time praying and, and reflecting. And um, 
I had I had started off just you know like I I, I like to I like listening to music to kind of get me going kind of get them set the mood like I set the mood up for me and Jesus get the candle lit <laughs> music going you know get the dining room table all set up like okay we're gonna have a date night tonight Lord and I had the, had the music going and and um, and not too long into that you know the tears are flowing and. My heart feels like it's just being just softened in his, just in his presence. It's just like, it's there. And I remember I was, as I was standing in that space, I just said, like this, this is what it is all about. This right here. It's not about taking, controlling. You know, I want to control. Give me power. Give me control. I've been praying and fasting. Give me power. Give me joy. And God's like, I just want faith. You want power, I want powerlessness. You want it to have it all together, I want you to be broken. Like everything that you want in your flesh is the exact opposite of my kingdom, what I want for you. So the sooner that you embrace what I want, the quicker we're going to get where we need to get. Brokenness, humility, love. I remember walking away from that, that time of prayer and just sensing him, just sensing so strongly the call, the renewed call just to love, to love him and to love people. It's like simple. Like, really? You had to get away for that many days just to be told to love God and love people? I mean, he's been saying that all along. Yeah, I know, but, you know, I mean, it just, I don't know. I wasn't hearing it. Now it just says, love me and love people. Just love. That's what, I, that's what I'm wooing and calling you into. What I, what I sense to do here this morning as, as we wrap up is... Um, those of you that are here today that have, ha that have some questions in your life and you're just like, I, I need, I've, I've been searching for answers, I've been looking for answers, I have this sense that God wants to just bring his presence into our space for a moment and he just wants to breathe his presence over those questions that you've been asking, those hurts, the, the, the things that have caused certain frustrations maybe in your life. They could be questions that go all the way back to when you were a kid or questions that are, that are rooted in what you're worried about tomorrow, like what might happen next week. It could be questions related to that. Um, it could be questions related just to who, who, who am I? What, you know, what's my function, my role in all of this? Um, but all of, those, all of those questions are opportunities for us to be able to stand in his presence with a heightened sense of awareness with a sensitivity to the pain and the, the hurt and the ache, and to feel him come alongside of us in that and sense that his presence is enough, right? His love and his grace is enough. So what I would like to do here is I'd like to invite us to stand. Um, yeah, just if you'll stand <clears throat> with me. And... Um, I'm going to ask uh, for just a show of hands here, uh, just kind of a moment, a, a moment of courage and um, boldness. I'm going to ask for a show of hands for those of you that are here today, and you've got some questions in your life, some unresolved issues, and things aren't packaging so well like you thought they would, but you're like, I I've got some questions. And those questions may even be, some. there may be some here today, that those questions are leading to a kind of frustrated existence. Like, some of you, some of you feel like your questions 
are disqualifying you from your relationship with God. And you're saying, I've got these questions, and I feel like my questions have somehow come between me and God. And what I'm suggesting here today is that those questions are the stuff that drive you into God's presence. That those questions are beautiful. They're powerful moments, opportunities for you to come near and close to him. But you've been feeling like, you know, this question somehow come between me and heaven. It's, 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 it's hindering me and my, my walk with God. And he's saying no. And so I'm going to ask you to raise, those of you that are here that are feeling those questions, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And then, and then once you raise your hand, we're going to take a moment and we're going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray with you because you're going to pray too. I'm going to pray for you because you're going to receive. You're going to pray and, 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 and reach, out, reach out to God. And, and we're going to trust that the thing that he is really after in this space, in this moment right now, that is the true miracle that all of us get no matter where we're walking, what we're walking through or where we're at, the true miracle is his presence. That's the miracle. Because that really, down here, that's really what you want. You wouldn't be satisfied with just a bunch of answers. There is something deep, deep, deep down in here that is yearning for God's presence. And the question's just getting you going toward that. So who, is, who here today has been experiencing some questions in your life that you feel are just, they're just there. They're tough questions that you've been asking, that you've been feeling. And you're, you're like, I need answers. I need, all right. I want you to take that hand that, you're, that, you're, that you have that you're holding up right now, and I want you to posture it in this way, right? Like in, 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 a, in a posture of receiving. And we're going to pray. And we're going to, we're going to just anticipate that your, your Abba, your Heavenly Father, is here to answer you with His presence and to bring His presence right here. Like I'm not, this is not something that's going to have to happen next week, next year. I'm saying right here, right now, this is good news. That because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, all of us have free access to the Father. All of us have been given the Holy Spirit because of the work of Jesus. And so that is readily available right here, right now. And Jesus said, all you have to do is ask. Your heavenly father knows what you have need of. He is a good heavenly father. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And he will give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Just ask. Father, Abba, we stand in this space right now by grace. A free gift of love from you. We have walked into this space harboring feelings, resentment, anger, frustration, questions that have driven us to this moment and this point in time. We have wondered what our place in the world is, how we fit and function, why it is that we seem to go through the same thing over and over and over. The same pattern gets played out again and again and again. Is there something wrong with us? And we battle through shame. We battle through, and we try all of these different things. And all of these questions seem to weigh us down and hold us back from reaching our full potential. We think if I could just get rid of these questions, then I would finally live. Then I would finally make it. Then I would finally arrive and I'd be able to fly and soar and become everything that I'm intended to become. But all of these questions hold me down. They weigh me down. They're like this heavy, heavy weight and burden upon me that keep me latched to the ground 
chained in a prison and they hold me back and they remind me over and over and over that I haven't solved it all. I don't have all the solutions. I don't know all the answers that something must be wrong with me and I can't. All of these questions seem to just weigh on me. But today, today I acknowledge that these questions are meant to bring me close to you. That these questions are part of my quest. That I, like Abraham, am questing, looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That I, like Abraham, am walking toward a promise. And though I may not see the fulfillment of that promise right here, right now, even in this lifetime, in this moment, something far greater than what I imagine is happening in my life. Something far greater than what I even have a mind to conceive or understand is happening in my life and through my life and the story of my life. There is something far more beautiful, more glorious, more heavenly that is transpiring and taking place as I begin to walk forward in trust and in faith with you that you are good and faithful and just in all of your ways, that you love me unconditionally, that you are for me, not against me, that you are surrounding me with your presence even here and even now, and that I sense and feel your love. I sense and feel your grace. I sense and feel that you are with me here in this community. And I can look over to the person standing next to me and I can say, I'm with her. I'm with him. I'm here in community with the body of Christ. And together we are complete in him. Together we are completed by his work and his love. And so today, I worship you with my questions. I worship you with these disjointed spaces of suffering and ache. I worship you with what I have walked through the past five months. I worship you. You are good. And you love my worship. And I give it to you, and I feel your presence and your delight happening all over this space right here, right now. I feel it because of Jesus. I feel it because of his cross. I feel it because of his love. I feel it because he is resurrected in power. I feel it because he has ascended high above every question that can be asked, above every principality and power and ruler of the darkness. He has ascended above all of that. He is glorious and great. And I stand in him complete and whole, questions and all. And I worship you in this, in Jesus' name. Now, as, our, as, the, as the worship team begins to come up here, there's one more thing I want you to do, and then I'm going to turn this back over to, to Vince. Um, God's presence is here in a very profound way right now, and you can sense it. I feel it. Like I, 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 I sense the Holy Spirit here. I, I sense him here so strong that it is enough to carry you. What you what, what's happening right now is enough to carry you all the way through what you're in. It's enough. You don't need anything. It's enough. There is enough of God in this moment, enough of his presence right here, right now, to carry you. Enough of his. It's here. That's, that's just put your hand on your, like, on your diaphragm or on your heart or somewhere where you can feel your own aliveness, your heart beating, your, your lungs, your, 
the movement. He is in you. That close. That real. That now. Right there. So what you're going to do is you're going to share a little bit of that with the person next to you. And they're going to share a little bit of that with you. And here's how we're going to do that. I'm going to ask you to join hands with the person standing next to you. Just link up, lock up. And I want you to kind of like do one of those, one of those prayers, just blessing. Bless the snot out of that person standing next to you. Just like, Father, just bless the snot out of them. Just like, I don't know if that's, if that's inappropriate or not. It's not, okay. I mean, I've been around you, I know, so. Just bless this person so much. Like with the, with, the Jesus, with the Jesus presence that's in here, just bless them, bless them, bless them. The questions, the, the questions, the, the quester that's alive inside of them, just let your presence just flow into them right now and just bless. And I want you to just kind of let your, the love, just let love flow through. Let faith flow through you and just get an imagination for God flowing, connecting through all of us in this space right now and opening us up to something that is very much alive with him. You ready? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray for one another. Bless my neighbor. Bless my friend. Bless my spouse. Bless, bless my, 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 my co-worker. Bless this person that came that I don't even know. I don't know what their name is. I'm not even sure who they are. But I know they love you, and I know you love them, and I know you're here, and you're in me, and you're in them. Flow. Flow. Flow through us with mercy and compassion and grace. Flow through us with power and presence and love. Flow through us with you, the essence of who you are, the essence of what it is that you've done, your existence and your life. Just flow through us right now. Flow through us healing us and redeeming. Flow through us washing us and cleansing us from sin because we know it is written that, that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so in this moment of us being together, in this space of us being with each other, there is a flow of life. There is a cleansing flow that we're being freed and we're being loosed and we're being brought forward into you and into your glory and into your light. So just flow through us, we pray, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name.